You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures that Rudolf Steiner gave during the founding of the General Anthroposophical Society, also known as the Christmas Conference. Uh, this is the last lecture translated by Dorothy Osmond, Lecture 9. It is also available in a different translation in the, another book on this website, also called The Christmas Conference, for your information. This cycle, uh, this last lecture in this cycle, Lecture 9, is in the book World History and the Mysteries in the Light of Anthroposophy. As we are together for the last time during this Christmas meeting, which should be a source of strength and of vital importance for the anthroposophical movement, you will allow me to give this lecture as a supplement to the many vistas opened for us by the series of lectures just finished while also giving tentative indications concerning the future of anthroposophical strivings. When we look at the world today, and it has been the same for years now, destructive elements on a colossal scale are everywhere in evidence. Forces that are actively at work enable us to have forebodings of the abysses into which Western civilization will continue to steer. When we think of those individuals who are outwardly the spiritual leaders in various domains of life, we shall perceive that these men are in the throes of an ominous, universal sleep. They think, or at least most of them were still thinking only a short time ago, that until the 19th century mankind was childish and primitive in respect of understanding and conceptions of the world. Then modern science appeared in its many branches, and now, so it is thought, there exists something that must, through all eternity, be cultivated as the truth. The people who think this are really giving way to extreme arrogance, only they are not aware of it. On the other hand, there sometimes arises, even in men today, a premonition that things are not, after all, as I have described. Some little time ago it was still possible for me to give lectures in Germany organized by the Wolf Bureau. They attracted extraordinarily large audiences so that the existence of a desire for anthroposophy became obvious to many people. Among the many nonsensical utterances of opponents there was one voice which to be sure was not much cleverer than the others in respect of content, but which, nevertheless, indicated a remarkable premonition. It consisted in a newspaper report of one of the lectures I had given in Berlin. The notice was to this effect. When one listens to something of this kind, one becomes attentive to the fact that something is going on not only on the earth, I am quoting the notice approximately, but in the whole cosmos something is happening 
which summons men to adopt a spirituality different from what existed previously. Now the forces of the cosmos, not earthly impulses, demand something from men. Kind of revolution is taking place in the cosmos, the result of which must be the striving for a new spirituality. Such utterances were constantly to be heard and were very worthy of note. The fact of the matter is this, the impulse that must be working in what is now to go out from Dornach must, as I emphasized from every possible point of view during the meeting itself, be an impulse originating in the spiritual world, not on the earth. Our striving here is to develop the strength to follow impulses from the spiritual world. That is why in the evening lectures during this Christmas meeting I spoke of manifold impulses at work in the course of historical evolution in order that hearts could be opened for the reception of the spiritual impulses which have yet to stream into the earthly world, which are not derived from that world itself. Everything for which the earthly world hitherto has rightly been the vehicle proceeded from the spiritual world. And if we are to achieve anything fruitful for the earthly world, the impulses for it must be brought from the spiritual world. This prompts the assertion that the impulses we ought rightly to take with us from the meeting for our further activity must be connected with great responsibility. Let us think for a short time of the responsibility laid upon us by that meeting. Anyone with a sense of the reality of the spiritual world could encounter many personalities during recent decades, and observing them spiritually experience bitter feelings regarding the future destiny of humanity on earth. One could encounter one's fellow men on the earth in the way that is possible spiritually and observe these human beings during their sleep while they are in the spiritual world with ego and astral body having left their physical and etheric bodies. During recent decades, explorations connected with the destinies of egos and astral bodies during the sleep of human beings have resulted in knowledge calling for great responsibility on the part of those who possess it. One often saw souls who had left their physical and etheric bodies during sleep approaching the guardian of the threshold. In the course of evolution, the guardian of the threshold has been brought to men's consciousness in very many different ways. Many a legend, many a saga, for it is in this form, not in the form of historical tradition, that things of the greatest importance are preserved. Many a legend tells of how in earlier times this or that personality met the guardian of the threshold and was instructed by him how to enter the spiritual world and return again into the physical world. Every legitimate entry into the spiritual world must include the possibility of being able at any and every minute to return into the physical world and to live there as a practical, thoughtful human being, not as a visionary or as an ecstatic mystic. Fundamentally speaking, it was this that was demanded by the guardian of the threshold through all the ages of human endeavors to enter the spiritual world. But, notably, 
In the last third of the 19th century, hardly any human beings who succeeded in approaching the guardian of the threshold in waking consciousness were to be seen. In our present time, when it is historically incumbent upon the whole of mankind to encounter the guardian of the threshold in some form, one finds how souls during sleep approach the guardian of the threshold as egos and astral bodies, and the pictures that are revealed are full of significance. The stern guardian of the threshold has around him groups of human souls in the state of sleep. Souls who in waking consciousness lack the strength to approach this guardian of the threshold. They approach him while they sleep. When one watches the scene presented there, a thought connected with what I have called the seed of great and essential responsibility comes to one. The souls approaching the guardian of the threshold during the state of sleep plead with the consciousness then prevailing in the waking state, everything remains unconscious or subconscious, plead to be admitted into the spiritual world, to be allowed to cross the threshold. And in numberless cases, one then hears the voice of the stern guardian of the threshold saying, For your own well-being, you may not cross the threshold. You may not be allowed to enter the spiritual world. You must go back. For if the guardian of the threshold were to permit such souls to enter the spiritual world, they would cross the threshold and enter that world with the concepts imparted to them by the schools, education, and civilization of today, with the concepts and ideas with which the human being is obliged to grow up from about the age of six to basically the end of his life on earth. The intrinsic character of these concepts and ideas is such that what a man has become through them in modern civilization and education means that he enters the spiritual world paralyzed in soul. Moreover, he would return to the physical world empty-headed in respect of thoughts and ideas. If the guardian of the threshold were not to reject many human souls of the modern age, but allow them to enter the spiritual world, they would feel on awakening, I am incapable of thinking. My thoughts do not connect with my brain. I am obliged to go through the world void of thoughts. For such is the effect of the abstract ideas which man applies to everything today. With these ideas he can enter the spiritual world, but not come forth from it again. And when one witnesses this scene which is experienced during sleep by more souls than is usually imagined, one feels, oh, if only it were possible to protect these souls from having also to experience at death what they experience during sleep. For if the condition that is experienced in the presence of the guardian of the threshold were to be repeated for a sufficient length of time, If civilizations were to remain long enough under the sway of what current education provides, then the souls of men would pass through the gates of death into the spiritual world, but would be unable to bring any mental vigor into the next earthly life. 
with the thoughts prevailing today, it is possible for a man to enter the spiritual world, but he can only come out of it again paralyzed in soul. You see, modern civilization adopts the form of spiritual life that has for so long been cultivated, but real life does not allow this. Civilization, as it now is, might continue to progress for a time. During waking life, souls would have no inkling of the existence of the guardian of the threshold, and during sleep would be rejected by him in order to avoid mental paralysis. And this would finally result in a race of men being born in the future with no understanding, no possibility of applying ideas in their future earthly life. And all thinking, all ideation would vanish from the earth. A diseased, purely instinctive human race would people the earth. Evil feelings and unbridled emotions without the guiding power of ideas would take hold of the evolution of humanity. It is not only through observation of the souls confronting the guardian of the threshold, souls which can gain no entrance to the spiritual world. It is not only through observing this that a sorrowful picture is presented to the seer, but in a different connection there is another factor as well. If on the journey of which I have spoken, when the souls of sleeping human beings confronting the guardian of of the threshold can be observed, one is accompanied by a human being belonging not to Western but to Oriental civilization, a terrible reproach of the whole of Western civilization may be heard from him to this effect. If things continue as they now are, when the human beings living today appear on earth in new incarnations, the earth will become barbaric. Human beings will live devoid of ideas, in instincts only. You Westerners have brought things to this pass because you have abandoned the ancient spirituality of the East. A glimpse into the spiritual world, such as I have described, may well give rise to a sense of great responsibility. And here in Dornach, there must be a place where, for those human beings who have ears to hear, direct and significant experiences in the spiritual world can be described. Here there must be a place where sufficient strength is generated not merely to indicate in terms of the dialectic empirical mentality of today that here or there little traces of spiritual spiritual reality exist. If Dornach is to fulfill its task, actual happenings in the spiritual world must be spoken of openly. Men must be able to hear of the impulses in the spiritual world which then pour into and control the natural world and nature itself. In Dornach, men must be able to hear of actual experiences, actual forces, actual beings of the spiritual world. Here there must be the high school of true spiritual science. Henceforth we must not not draw back when confronted by the shallowness of the scientific thoughts of today, which, as I have described, lead in the state of sleep to the stern guardian of the threshold. 
In Dornach, the strength must be acquired to confront and experience the spiritual world in its reality. There must be no dialectical tirades from here on the subject of the inadequacy of modern scientific theory. I was obliged, however, to call attention to the position in which human beings are placed when confronting the guardian of the threshold on account of these scientific theories and their offshoots in the orthodox schools of today. If what has been said at this Christmas meeting is sincerely applied in the life of soul, the meeting will be a forceful impulse which the soul can then apply in the activity that is needed in this age so that in their next incarnations men may be able to confront the guardian of the threshold in the right way. This will ensure that civilization in its own right can enable men to face and hold their own when confronting the guardian of the threshold. Just compare the civilization of today with that of earlier times, during all of which men's thoughts and concepts were directed primarily to the supersensible world, to the gods, to the world of productive, generative, creative forces. With concepts that were concerned primarily with the gods, men were able to contemplate the earthly world and also to understand it in the light of these concepts and ideas. If with these concepts, worthy of the gods as they were, a man came before the guardian of the threshold, the guardian would say to him, You may pass, for you bring over the threshold into the supersensible world thoughts that were already directed to the supersensible world during your earthly life in a physical body. Thus, when you return into the physical world of the senses, you will have enough strength to protect you from being paralyzed by the spectacle of the supersensible world. Today, man develops concepts and ideas which, in accordance with the genius of the age, he wants to apply only to the material world. These concepts and ideas are concerned with every possible aspect of weight, measure, and the like. But they have nothing to do with the gods and are not worthy of the gods. Hence, to souls who have completely succumbed to materialistic ideas that are unworthy of the gods, the voice of the guardian of the threshold thunders when they pass before him in the state of sleep. Do not cross the threshold. You have squandered your ideas on the world of the senses. Hence, you must remain with them in the world of the senses. If you do not wish to be paralyzed in your life of soul, you may not enter the world of the gods as long as you hold such ideas. These things must be said, not in order to be the subject of argument, but because every individual should let his mind and soul be permeated by them, and thus develop the attitude of mind that should have been generated in him by this solemn Christmas meeting of the Anthroposophical Society. For more important than anything else we take with us is the recognition of the spiritual world which gives the certainty that in Dornoch there will be created a living center of spiritual knowledge. Hence a really splendid note was struck this morning when Dr. Zeilmans spoke in connection with the sphere of medicine, 
saying that it is no longer possible today for bridges to be built from orthodox science to what it is our aim to found in Dorna. If we were to speak of what is, it is hoped to develop in the sphere of medicine here by boasting that our products can stand the test of all modern clinical requirements, then we should never reach any definite goal. For then other people would simply say, that is just a new remedy, and we too have produced plenty of new remedies. It is of essential importance that a branch of practical life, such as medicine, should be taken in the real sense into anthroposophical life. That is what I certainly understood to be Dr. Zalman's wish when he said this morning that an individual who becomes a doctor today really longs for something that gives impulses from a new corner of the world. In the domain of medicine, this is just what will be done from here in the future, together with many another branch of genuine anthroposophical activity. It will be worked out now with Dr. Wegman as my helper, as a system of medicine based upon anthroposophy. It is a dire need of humanity and will soon be available. It is also my intention to establish as soon as possible a close relationship between the Gertianum and the clinic in Arlsheim that is proving to be so beneficial. The work there will be oriented entirely toward anthroposophy. That is also Dr. Wegman's intention. In speaking as he did, Dr. Zalmans also indicated what attitude the Vorstand in Dornach will adopt in all spheres of anthroposophical activity. In future we shall know exactly how matters stand. We shall not say, let us bring Eurythmy to this or that town, for if people first see Eurythmy without hearing anything about anthroposophy, Eurythmy will please them. Then, later on, perhaps, they will come to us, and because they have liked Eurythmy and have heard that anthroposophy is behind it, anthroposophy, too, may please them. Or, again, it may be said, in the practice of medicine, people must be shown that ours are the right remedies, and then they will buy them. Later on, they may discover that anthroposophy is behind them, and then they will come to anthroposophy. We must have the courage to realize that such procedure is dishonest and must be abandoned. Anthroposophy will then find its way in the world. Our striving for truth here in Dornach will in the future be without fanaticism, will be advocated honestly and candidly. Perhaps in this way we can make reparation for principles that have been gravely sinned against in recent years. We must leave this meeting, which has led to the founding of the General Anthroposophical Society, not with trifling, but with solemn thoughts. But I think that nobody need have experienced any pessimism as a result of what took place here at Christmas. We had, it is true, to pass the tragic ruins of the Gertianum every day, but I think that all those who climbed the hill and passed the ruins during the meeting will have become aware of what our friends have understood in their hearts and that the following thought will have become a reality to them. Spiritual flames of fire will go forth from the new Gertianum that will come into being in the future for the blessing of mankind, will come into being through our activity and devotion. 
and the greater the courage with which to conduct the affairs of anthroposophy that we take with us from this meeting, the more effectively have we grasped the spiritual impulse of hope that has pervaded the meeting. The scene that I have described to you, the scene that is so often to be seen of modern man with the results of his civilization and education facing the guardian of the threshold, This scene does not actually occur among perceptive anthroposophists. But it does sometimes happen that this warning is necessary. You must develop the resolute courage to become aware of and avow your obedience to this voice from the spiritual world, for you have begun to wake. Courage will keep you wakeful. Lack of courage, that and that alone, could cause you to sleep. The voice of exhortation to unfold courage and wakefulness, that is the other variant for anthroposophists in the life of modern civilization. Non-anthroposophists hear the voice which says, Remain outside the spiritual world, for you have misused the ideas which are coined for purely earthly objects. You have amassed no ideas that are worthy of the gods. Hence you would be paralyzed on your return into the physical world of the senses. To the souls who are truly anthroposophical souls, however, it is said, you have now to be tested in respect only of your courage to avow adherence to the voice, which because of the trend and inclination of your souls and hearts, you can certainly hear and understand. Yesterday, a year ago, we were watching the flames that were destroying the old Gertianum, but just as we did not allow ourselves then to be interrupted, in our continuation of the work. So today we are justified in hoping that when a physical Gertianum will again be there, it will be merely the symbol of our spiritual Gertianum, which we will bear with us as idea when we now again go out into the world. Over the foundation stone laid here will be erected the building in which the single stones will be the work achieved in every one of our groups, all over the world. We will now turn our thoughts to this work and become conscious of the responsibility of the men of today when they are standing before the guardian of the threshold who is obliged to forbid them entrance into the spiritual world. Quite certainly it will never occur to us to feel anything except the deepest pain and sorrow for what happened to us a year ago. But of one thing we may be sure, Everything in the world that has achieved some measure of greatness is born from pain. May our own pain be applied in such a way that a vigorous, light-filled, anthroposophical society will come into being as the result of your work, my dear friends. To this end, we will ponder deeply on the words with which I began the Christmas meeting and with which I want to end it. May it become for us a festival of consecration, not only of a year's beginning, but of the beginning of a turning point of worlds to which we will dedicate ourselves in selfless cultivation of the spiritual life. Human soul, thou livest in the limbs which bear thee through the world of space into the ocean being of the spirit. Practice spirit recollection in the depths of soul where in the wielding world-creator life 
thine own I comes to being within the I of God. Then in the all-world being of humankind thou wilt truly live. For the Father Spirit of the heights holds sway in depths of worlds begetting life, spirits of strength. Let this ring out from the heights and in the depths be echoed, speaking, From God mankind has being. The spirits hear it in east and west and north and south. May human beings hear it. Human soul, thou livest in the beat of heart and lung, which leads thee through the rhythmic tides of time into the feeling of thine own soul-being. Practice spirit-mindfulness in balance of the soul, where in the surging deeds of the world's becoming thine own I unite unto the I of the world. Then, mid the weaving of the soul of humankind, thou wilt truly feel. For the Christ will in the encircling round hold sway in the rhythms of the worlds, blessing the soul. Spirits of light, let this be fired from the east and to the west be formed, speaking, in Christ death becomes life. The spirits hear it in east and west and north and south. May human beings hear it. Human soul, thou livest in the resting head, which from the ground of the eternal opens to thee the thoughts of worlds. Practice spirit vision in quietness of thought, where the eternal aims of God's world beings light on thine own eye bestow for thy free willing. Then from the ground of the spirit in humankind thou wilt truly think. For the spirit's universal thoughts hold sway in the beings of all worlds craving for light. Spirits of soul, let this be prayed in the depths and from the heights be answered speaking. In the Spirit's universal thoughts, the soul awakens. The Spirit's hear it in east and west and north and south. May human beings hear it. At the turning point of time, the Spirit light of the world entered the stream of earthly being. Darkness of night had held its sway. Day, radiant light, poured into the souls of humankind. Light that gives warmth to simple shepherds' hearts. Light that enlightens the wise heads of kings. O light divine, O Son of Christ, Warm thou our hearts, enlighten thou our heads, that good may become what from our hearts we would found, and from our heads direct with single purpose. And so, my dear friends, carry out into the world your warm hearts, in which you have laid the foundation stone for the Anthroposophical Society. Carry out into the world these warm hearts which promote strong health-giving activity in the world.
and help will be vouchsafed to you, enlightening your heads in what you would fain direct with single purpose. We will set about this with all possible strength. And if we prove to be worthy of this aim, we shall see that a good star will hold sway over what is willed from here. Follow this good star, my dear friends. We shall see whither the gods will lead us by the light of this star. O light divine, O Son of Christ, warm thou our hearts, enlighten thou our heads. That's the end of Lecture 9 and the end of the cycle that was given in the evenings in the founding of the Anthroposophical Society uh, from the 24th of December 1923 to the 1st of January 1924 entitled World History and the Mysteries in the Light of Anthroposophy.